What's happening, everybody? And welcome to another spine-tingling, conceptually titillating episode of Jazztopia. I'm your host, Bobby Spellman, coming at you from the heart of Bushwick, Brooklyn, in New York City, the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Uh, I'd like, uh, before we get going here, I'd like to take a little time to uh, recommend once again that if you are hanging out in your house and you've got a steady job and you can do it from home and you're making that money and uh, you love jazz music and you want to support the musicians, there's a great organization. The Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation is uh, doing grants for the jazz musicians in New York City who are out of work due to the inability for people to gather. So if you've got some extra money and you want to support the cause, you want to support the musicians, you love the music, and you want to do what you can to, uh, to get, some, get some, some aid and support to those people who are professional performers, you can check out the uh, Louis Armstrong Foundation.org. Uh, Make sure I have that correct. Louis Armstrong, just search it. You can Google it. Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation. And uh, I'm sure that they've been doing a great, they've been doing great work getting the money to the people. I know a lot of my friends and, and uh, colleagues have been really helped out by uh, some of their grants. So uh, if you've got a little extra bread, you want to throw it their way, uh, you know, do the thing. Go find the website. Do what you can. Do what you can to help out. The other thing that you can do that's a big help is uh, go find everybody's band campaign. Start buying music again. All right, we've done enough of this streaming nonsense. We got to start buying people's music again. It's a voluntary support of the musicians' livelihood, and it really makes a big difference. I think probably I'm, I'm going to do the math in my head here, so it might not be great, but one CD is worth. Let's see. Let's say you spend. Let's say just for fun, you spend uh, ten bucks on a CD, and uh, every stream on uh, Spotify is one. Seven thousandth of a cent to the musicians. So buying a CD is worth like, you know, whatever that is. Listen, seven thousand times a hundred times ten. That's a lot. <laughs> Do what you can to help the musicians. All right, you guys sick of this COVID thing yet? You guys sick of talking about the COVID? I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting tired of it myself. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do today. This is going to be a wild episode. We're going to just change the format a little bit. Uh, it's going to be a shorter one. We're going to do a little housekeeping. We're going to do a little uh, psychological, conceptual housekeeping. Uh, and I'm going to introduce myself to some of you who are listening to the show, who have uh, found it through some of the musicians that I've been honored to be able to talk to, but don't know me. And I'll give a little idea of my mission statement. But here's, here's how I'm going to do this. Uh, we're going to just, I'm going to restart the show. All right, I'm going to restart the show, and we're going to just pretend that there's no coronavirus. All right, we're just going to dis distance ourselves temporarily in our, in our imagination. We're going to go into imagination land, and we're just going to not even talk about COVID-19. All right, we're going to try to avoid it so we can just take our minds off it, vibe out, and have a nice time. Okay, here we go. Restart the show. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another spine-tingling, conceptually titillating episode of Jazztopia. I'm your host, Bobby Spellman, coming at you from regular old Brooklyn. Just a regular day here in Brooklyn. Everything's going great. Things are normal, and everyone is happy. 
Today, we're going to have a slightly different episode. I thought that for our sixth episode here, we've done a couple of them now. We've got a couple of them out. People have been checking it out. I've been really happy. Uh, for this episode, I have taken the week to try to uh, get this particular show on some various other platforms that it hasn't been on yet. And that's taken a little time. So I put a quick pause on interviews. We'll, we'll have another one for you next week. Talking about education and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to give too much away right now. Uh, but this week, I wanted to take a turn and do something else. Um, I wanted to introduce myself to those of you who uh, don't know who I am, but have checked out some of the other episodes, and uh, give you an idea of my the origins of this thing and my mission statement, what I'm thinking about here, and how to proceed onwards. If you have any thoughts on it, you can uh, send me a message, you know, if you have any ideas as to the direction we're going with this, or well, who'd you like to see on the show, or who... Uh, different topics you'd like to have talked about, various things like that, you know, I'm open to it. We're, we're, a, we're an open book here and just trying out different things, trying to get a handle on it. So, uh, let's see where to begin. My name is Bobby Spellman. I am a trumpet player, uh, say jazz trumpet player. I play a wide a variety of different styles of music and I have for a long time. I've always been interested in a lot of different styles of music. Um... I, when I, I grew up in Boston, outside of Boston. I was born in the Newton Wellesley Hospital. And uh, my father's an amateur drummer, and he was always really big into jazz. And my mother's an abstract artist, a painter. Uh, so I grew up in a creative environment. And jazz music was the first, uh, first style of music I was really uh, exposed to in, uh, let's say, large quantities. Uh, so that's all I knew when I was a kid. My dad's deep into it. I mean, that and Motown and... Uh, let's see, you know, Calypso, various things like that. But my dad, being a drummer, had me playing drums just, just about as soon as I came out of the womb. And uh, he really got me deep into uh, swing and old Dixieland music and all kinds of other stuff like that. But it was kind of funny being a little kid because everybody else was listening to whatever, Smash Mouth or something, and I was carrying around my Benny Goodman Pure Gold CD. Uh, but all that music stuck in my head for a long time, and later on, when I got the opportunity, I started playing trumpet in school, and uh, that led to an opportunity to play with my uh, my high school's jazz combo. I was fortunate to be able to study with David Schumacher in uh, at Pentucket Regional High School in West Newbury, Massachusetts. Uh, Schumacher is really a inspired teacher. It had a lot to do with him that I continued on the path to to an ever-escalating attempt at musical righteousness. Uh, once we got into high school, uh, some of my buddies and I got really obsessed with the whole thing. We got really obsessed with improvised music and jazz and, and scene, and we used to drive into Boston all the time, check out whoever we could. Uh, I remember going back, uh, we used to go in on Monday nights to see The Fringe at the Lily Pad in... Cambridge, Massachusetts, featuring George Garzon, John Lockwood, and Bob Gulati. And uh, my buddy Manbox and I used to drive his mother's old car down to Boston on a Monday night after we'd finished our homework, and we'd stay out until 1 in the morning and then get our minds blown completely and then come home and uh, wake up the next day at 6 a.m. to go back to high school, whatever. So we, we really made a point to, to uh, see as much music as we can and or as we could, and really absorb the absorb the scene in Boston and check out as much as we could. We got real obsessed with it. Um, people like Art Blakey and 
Max Roach and Clifford Brown and Miles Davis, all these people kind of became our punk rock. It was our, uh, it was our thing. And we, uh, the, the, my love for the music has always been rooted in, in the recordings and hearing live performances and the excitement of hearing new stuff and excitement of people inventing in real time on the fly. Uh, to me, jazz music as a sort of greater umbrella that encompasses, let's say, many forms of improvised music um, is a really almost spiritually enlightening art form. And it has to do with the idea that s people are creating one minute's music in one minute's time. And the music is shaped by the personalities of the individual in a way that you you don't always get in... Uh, you know, more, let's say, less spontaneous styles of music. I mean, that's always been, to me, the, the, the real power of the music is that you can listen to one note by Dexter Gordon or Hank Mobley or John Coltrane or Coleman Hawkins or anything, and you can, you can almost be transported to where they were at any given time. You can almost you tell their personality right off the bat, and it's, a, it's an amazing... Uh, it's an amazing style of music, and it's been something that's been with me for a long time. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, the Boston scene, too, was a really interesting place to grow up. I know a lot of people have spent some time in Boston, especially if you went to school for music because of uh, either Berkeley or New England Conservatory or Longy or many of the other schools that are in the area. But a lot of people who go to school there don't get a chance to really go in and check out the scene in town. Uh, oftentimes, it's easy to kind of stick to your own you know, to the campus or stick to school and you lose track of what's going on in the, in the scene. But Boston, for many, many, many years, has been really a fascinating place because it's, it's sort of a combination of a very intellectual, uh, academic approach to music and a kind of underground punk rock thing going on. But what it means is, in my mind, or as I saw it growing up, is that there seems to be a, a complete connection and fluidity between bebop and swing and inside music and free jazz and the avant-garde. It, it seems like everybody in Boston is an inside-outside kind of player. Um, and it stems from the tradition of, of Gunther Schuller being there, talking about third-stream music, as well as Jackie Byard, uh, George Russell at NEC, uh, Rand Blake, of course, and then a lot of, and then George Garzon, Jerry Berganzi, all these people have this have this way of being able to move in and out of different styles of music fluidly and still maintain their own personalities. Uh, and that's something that I, I grew up with and really stuck with me. It remains an important part of the way that I think about this stuff. Uh, I think that brings me... I'm just going to sit around here and just sip some coffee and ramble a little bit at you so you know where I'm coming from. So I may jump around subjects, but that's okay. I think that's okay. I think we're all going to be okay. In these very normal times, I think we can all appreciate just a little a little aimless rambling from time to time. Is that all right with everybody? Okay, here we go. That brings me to my next point, which is the name of this podcast, internet radio program, internet interview show, whatever we call this thing. Uh, I wanted to call it Jazztopia because I wanted to incorporate jazz into it, but I know that a lot of people are going to say, well, some of these people are jazz and some of them are free improvisers, or it's easy to get into this mm, kind of debate over particular styles, uh, genres, and what what is jazz? Well, frankly, I don't really care. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's a greater umbrella of various styles. I understand 
there's a very specific jazz tradition, and we, you know, but but what is jazz? I mean, I guess we'll put we'll put Coleman Hawkins and Bitches Brew in the same category, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, comes from a similar tradition, you know. So, I mean, are we gonna put are we gonna put Anthony Braxton and Chet Baker in the same category? We sure are. I sure am. That's just what's gonna happen in this particular circumstance. Could I get into the weeds and say, hey, this is actually uh, really more about free improvisation, or it's really more about whatever, it's jazz-adjacent music, or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to be discriminatory. Uh, I'm not going to be particular about, you know, what any of this stuff means. But I do know that uh, in this world that I've grown up in, jazz has sort of encompassed a, a really wide range of musics. Obviously, the foundation of it is is what we would all know to be jazz music. But uh, what does it become? What is modern jazz? Who knows? Maybe that'll be a subject of... That'll be... We'll make... The, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what we're going to do, gang. We're going to make that a subject of this whole endeavor here. All right? Now that I'm talking about this, we'll make that a... Uh, we might talk about that from time to time if it's interesting. I'll try to get people's views on... Does it even matter? What, what do we call this stuff? I mean, if you, let's say... Let's do this. Is Ch- Chuck Berry and Radiohead are both rock music? Like, I don't know. That's, this is pretty different. You know what I mean? I mean, what do we have? Like, I don't know. These The genre thing is really just, isn't that just a way for record companies to decide how to market these things to certain people? I don't need to deal with any of that nonsense. But if I called it like improvisation topia, or something, I don't know, it'd be too stupid. So we're just going to call it jazz topia. It's a utopia of jazz, all right? Uh, utopia of jazz. And uh, I think we're covering a lot of ground there. I want people to be able to find it. I want people interested in the subject of jazz music to be able to find the show and get into some of the stories from the people involved. And I figured that that would be the best way to do it. Maybe later on, uh, my buddy Manbox and I have sat around and tried to come up with some alternate titles for the show before uh, I settled on this one. So let's, uh, I might go through later and try to uh, check out some of them. <laughs> we'll review some of them. Some of them are uh, a little a little risque, perhaps, for this, so I don't know about that, but who knows. All right, so let's carry on. So uh, so I was very fortunate to be kind of deep in the into jazz world in high school. I was uh, up in West Newbury, Massachusetts, which is north of Boston, kind of by the seacoast, and I had the opportunity to, you know, go into Boston to see some music, but it was also a little bit isolating, so I didn't really know um, what what was going on. We didn't, I didn't do a lot of... Uh, regional bands or anything, so it was mostly me and the recordings. Uh, I was fortunate, again, to study with David Schumacher, who will come on the show before too long, and he he's a, he, he's a, a super open-minded educator, so he was giving me, at the same time, he was giving me Clifford Brown recommendations and having me transcribe Miles Davis. He was also recommending Ornette Coleman, and uh, I remember in particular Dave Douglas's Charms of the Night Sky, so it was a very wide range of uh, of Input. I also was fortunate to have uh, nearby Dino Records, run by Richard Osborne, and uh, Richard was sort of my was another teacher of mine, whether he knew it or not, because I would go in there and he would make recommendations for all kinds of wild music. So from that, I became acquainted with a lot of free music. He was really super into free music and the avant-garde. So I would go in and say, "Hey, I'm trying to check out Chet Baker and Jerry Mulligan. What do you got?" And he'd say, "Okay, well, you could do that, and here it is. But you also have to check out." John McNeil and Alan Chase playing East Coast Cool and things like that. So I got into all kinds of different styles of music through that. Eventually, 
Like many of you, I went to college, uh, but not knowing that I wanted to be a musician, not being sure what my path was going to be, I chose to get a degree in philosophy. So I went to uh, Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York, and studied philosophy for four years. I actually did about two years, and then I went to Berkeley for a year, uh, two semesters, to check it out, and I really loved it. I had a great time. Uh, but I thought that it would be worthwhile to continue my studies in other fields and continue to play music as much as I could so that I could kind of expand my, let's say, perspectives on the world. Now, did it help? I don't know. I often wonder. There are certain things that I lost not going to music school in the first place. Uh, you learn how to read, uh, read music quickly, <laughs> you know, things like that, technical things. Uh, there's a... but. You know, I'm sure there's some things that it's a benefit to go to music school and really be inundated in the culture, but I also never got sick of it. Music, to me, was always a deep love, and uh, I was able to continue it through college, though uh, largely just playing in town with people. And uh, otherwise, I was studying uh, largely uh, philosophy of law and political philosophy, things like that, things like... Uh, Things like John Rawls and Robert Nozick and John Locke. And uh, one, one field in particular that I found fascinating was the philosophy of science. And uh, I, I remember reading Thomas Kuhn's Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which had a big impact on me uh, then and later on when I was dealing in music theory. Uh, anyway, uh, while in school, I started a band with uh, a bunch of my friends uh, called Big Mean Sound Machine. And we traveled for many years. We toured for just about seven years, doing uh, three-day weekends all the time, playing festivals up and down the East Coast. band was uh, an Afrobeat band combining uh, Afrobeat and Ethio Jazz combined with Fusion and various other things. Uh, my job was to write the horn lines and to try to pull us as far as I could into Bitches Brew land. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That was one of the super fun bands. Uh, Kind of a wild dance band. We had a lot of fun traveling around doing the thing. Uh, that band, let's see, that band is Sense Defunct. The tricky thing about having a 10-piece funk band is that it makes it a little bit uh, difficult to pay everybody and keep the thing on the road and keep it going. And the other thing is it's tricky when you're traveling all the time. I mean, we run into, as musicians, we run into the trouble of trying to figure out how to navigate touring and making a living in that world uh, because it's costly both monetarily and physically in some respects and psychologically. And the other tricky thing is if you're really trying to make a living on the road, you might be out for 200 some odd nights a year and you've got to really commit to one particular style of music. So you got to really love that one thing that you're doing. And uh, I found that it's tricky. It's really tricky to do one thing, you know, Every night of the week, uh, I've always found myself pulled in many directions into many different styles of music and approaches and things like that. Uh, so, after a little while, I moved to New York City and started to really full-time pursue jazz music. Now, before that, well, I'm jumping around a lot here. Hmm. Is this tedious? Yeah, it might be tedious. I'm not trying to tell you my whole life story here, but I'm just trying to give everybody an idea where I'm coming from and my philosophies on these things. And So you have an idea who's interviewing these people. I'm sure that there's a number of people turning this stuff on going, who the hell is this guy? What, is he, what business does he have talking to these people? And uh, I ask myself the same question all the time. Uh, 
But anyway, uh, after Ithaca, after I graduated with my degree in philosophy, I went straight to New England Conservatory. So this is this is uh, in between. So this whole time, I was on the road doing uh, doing funk gigs, doing Afrobeat gigs, things like that, playing jazz music. Um, but from 2010 to 2012, I did a master's degree at New England Conservatory, where I had the opportunity to study with John McNeil, who's an amazing, amazing thinker, trumpet player, improviser, uh, Jerry Berganzi. And I studied with uh, Ben Schwendener, who I had on the show last week. I spent a lot of time digging deep into George Russell's Lydian chromatic concept. Uh, that, to me, really bridged the gap between the free music and the inside music that I've been working with, and I, at first, um, I struggled with it as a concept. I thought, this seems a little far-fetched, Ben, but the deeper I got into it, the more I realized how useful it was, and that became kind of a, uh, a let's say, platform for my, or a jumping-off point for a lot of my compositions and various experiments in writing music. I also had the opportunity to, to take ensembles with Joe Morris, uh, the great free jazz guitar player. Uh, free music improviser on various instruments, uh, the great rock alum Bob Moses, and then I had uh, the opportunity to work with Dave Holland, who would come into town every couple of months and do some classes and ensembles and things like that. NEC is an amazing place. New England Conservatory is really an amazing school. I, I'm a full advocate for the place. It was the only place I applied to go to grad school, honestly, so I'm happy I got in. Uh, but it was the only place that I knew of that was really put equal weight to not only f uh, bebop and and inside you know standard traditional jazz music, but also free jazz and the avant-garde. And it really, it's a place where you can combine if you wanted to, you know, bluegrass and metal and you know whatever you want. It's a it's they're very open to um, to experimentation and combinations of various things, you know, styles of music, things like that. All right, so where, where do we leave off? So after, uh, after NEC, while I was at NEC, I put together my Revenge of the Cool Nonette to play the music from The Birth of the Cool. Uh, I spent a lot of time studying those charts, getting deep into it, and uh, I wanted to put together a band to play them because I think it's really fascinating, remarkable, beautiful music. Uh, Birth of the Cool was actually the first album I bought uh, with my own money when I was a kid. It was two CDs. I went into Dino Records in Newburyport. I bought Birth of the Cool and a Dizzy Gillespie compilation called Dizzier and Dizzier, which actually featured a, a, a lot of great tracks, but one of them being Cubano B, Cubano Bop, a, uh, a, um, a George Russell composition. Anyway, so Birth of the Cool was always on my mind. Put together a band to do that, and I realized that this would be a really good opportunity to work out some new compositional things. Uh, it's a small enough group that you can still be agile in the same way that you can with a small group. But there's enough horns and there's enough stuff going on, there's enough different colors that you can really experiment with uh, a wide swath of the harmonic spectrum, let's say. Uh, that band's been going for a long time. I keep it going regularly. We had a regular gig in Brooklyn for a while. Uh, I was trying to work out some new music, write some new arrangements, things like that. And uh, I was fortunate last May to be able to record an album with the band. So I'm happy to say that in two weeks, that album is coming out on Sunnyside Records. And it is called Revenge of the Cool. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, I'm looking forward for that to come out so that I can start working on some new stuff. I've been trying to write some new music for the group. I've got all kinds of projects in mind. 
but it's going to be uh, it's going to be good to get that music out there. In addition to the Revenge of the Cool Non-Net, I also lead a brass band called Dingo Neck Street Band that started as the Underground Society Band while we were in Boston. Started that band with um, my now wife, Emily Pecoraro, on saxophone, uh, Tyler Birchfield on baritone saxophone, Josiah Reebstein on tuba, and a sort of series of um, rotating drummers. So we started the Underground Society Band. Did some, uh, we had a regular residency at the Middle East Corner in Boston. Everybody who lives in Boston will know the Middle East. Uh, so we could kind of hone our sound as a very weird little ensemble kind of a brass band, trad jazz, free jazz, wild thing. And that eventually evolved into the Dingonek. Dingonek being a mythical creature from Africa that uh, it's like kind of a lion-eating jungle walrus thing. It's like the Bigfoot of the Congo or something like that. But we wrote a bunch of... I, I particularly wrote a bunch of tunes on uh, mythical creatures, and the Dingonek was the best one. So that took on a name. It's a brass band. It's kind of a wild, you know, part Afrobeat, part brass band, part Ethio jazz combination of all kinds of different styles is a funky groove unit uh we've been you know we do gigs from time to time in the subways or playing playing uh concerts and and rock clubs things of that nature it's a lot of fun and uh, other than that i spend a lot of time doing various collaborations with other musicians free you know in free improvisation world so i don't have a particular group to do that but often i'll get together with any number of you know various different people and various instrumentations and just try to create one minute's music in one minute's time, or maybe 50 minutes music in one minute, 50 minutes time, <laughs> something like that, you know. Uh, I do a little bit with electronic, uh, let's say, manipulation of trumpet sounds. I've got to, you know, do uh, pedals and various things like that, and I live in many worlds. I always have fun with it, and that's kind of the name of the game. And that brings me back to what we're doing here in this particular show. My interest in this came originally from, I mean, I'm, I've always been fascinated with the way that creative people uh, approach their craft. So whether it be comedians or actors or artists or anybody, I mean, there's something about the creative process that has always been fascinating to me. And I think that that stems from the idea that we're that we're in, that we're using our facilities to invent something in space that didn't exist beforehand, uh, and in all instances, it's our creation is a reflection on what it is that we've absorbed over time, on what it is that makes us us. It's an it's a, at one time both an individualistic, personal expression as well as a relation to the outside world and a reaction to what's happening in our very environment at any given time or place. Uh, so it's always interesting for me to hear about people's paths and the way that they think about creating new things and the way that their process works, uh, forcing yourself to create new things, being your own sort of your own boss, you know, coming up with your own concepts and pushing your own uh, potential to its limit. And that's always been fascinating to me, but really the origin of this particular show came uh, while I was, the, the thought came while I was teaching at the New England Conservatory uh, High School Summer Program this last year, and uh, I was hanging out with with uh, my old friends from NEC, Zwaylaki <laughs> Duma Bella Pair, uh, maybe better known as Zway, and uh, Robin Betas, we were listening to old bootlegs of Clifford Brown, things like that. We were talking about 
how there's really not a lot of people documenting the stories and the perspectives of people who are in this music now, uh, people who are playing, or the especially the old masters. We're getting to a point where we've still got a couple of people left who are hanging around when Charlie Parker was playing. But, you know, especially these days, a lot of those people are, are checking out. So I thought, well, I'll tell you, it would be fascinating to hear from a lot of the people who are on the scene now. Because we've got some, you know, we've got enough interviews with Miles Davis and uh, some, of the, some of the people who were around when the music was a kind of a higher level of popularity. But, man, there are so many amazing musicians and thinkers and performers and composers and improvisers and everybody making music today. And because jazz music is not even near the mainstream, there's not really a lot of people talking to them about their creative process. But, again, jazz music to me is is such a... It's almost the... I, I shouldn't say this because it may be overdramatic, but it's kind of the pinnacle of human creative potential in music. It's the idea that not only do you have to be uh, technically capable, I mean, technically, you know, uh, you have to have a, a, a substantial technical facility in the same way that you would with classical music, but also you've got to have a real deep groove and you have to be able to swing and make the music feel great in the same way that you would with dance music, regardless of what kind of music you're playing. I mean, you could be playing no-time free music. I used to, when we used to go to see The Fringe in Boston, Bob Gulati would be playing this stuff that was no time, you know, no clear uh, time, but the groove was there regardless. You know, it's it's all there and the feel and everything. And then on top of that, not only do you have to be able to interpret other people's music and play with other people in real time and be able to communicate and create music in a collaborative way spontaneously, but you have to do so in such a way that's reflective of your own personality. You have to have your own original voice. And to be able to do that all spontaneously seven nights a week takes a kind of almost transcendent uh, ability. It takes a, a, a both a discipline and a creative urge that to me really transcends you know most styles of music. Now, now no disrespect to other styles of music, all right? I spent many years playing in reggae bands. I've written horn lines for about a million bands. I love Motown music. I love funk and soul and hip-hop and all this other stuff. I'm all about it. But all I'm saying is there's something about jazz music that is, to me, is really fascinating and is really compelling and has always been on the forefront of my mind, even though the average music consumer may not be hip to the concepts, all right? All right, so what's my point? My point is there's a lot of people out there doing some really amazing music, and there's not a lot of people talking to them about about their creative process, or the way that they think about these things, or their stories in the field, or, you know, what compels people forward in this world. And uh, I thought to myself, well, this isn't really in my wheelhouse. This isn't exactly in my skill set, but I can, I've got a couple of RE20 microphones and an interface, and I can study up and really try to, you know, try to hone the craft and try to figure out how to do this. And uh, so far in the, in the, in the interviews and the episodes that I've done, it's been totally fascinating. And I've been really honored that the people who have wanted to sit down and talk to me have wanted to sit down and talk to me about their path. And uh, it's honestly been a lot of fun. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the process here because it may be interesting to some of you. 
uh, I take this pretty seriously. And uh, I know that, you know, the, the people I've talked to and the people I have on the list continue to talk to, um, I know their music and I know a lot of people's music and I try to stay up on it. But uh, it's really important to me to do all this stuff right. So I really do my research. So, um, I mean, as an example, when I before I talked to Russ Gershon, I went and I listened to every either orchestra record, you know, in advance. I really wanted to dig deep into it. Uh, I don't know if we really got to speaking in terms of the specific albums, but you never know, you know. I mean, it's important to me uh, to really try to get into somebody's head and see what they've been all about and try to, you know, really understand and more than anything appreciate their music for what it is. Uh, before I talked to Joe Morris, I went and reread his book, The um, the Properties of Free Music, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I went back before I talked to Ben Schwendener about Lydian Chromatic Concept. I went back and reread his book, Organic Music Theory. I'm trying to do my homework, gang. I'm really trying to trying to read up, trying to learn this stuff, trying to really dig deep because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are putting out these amazing bodies of work. And I think it's easy, especially in this day and age, what with the internet and streaming services and uh, sort of mm, instant gratification music, it's really easy to forget about the the all of the the blood, sweat, and tears that go into creating new music. It's one of these things that people put out an album and everybody goes, "Yeah, cool. Let's you know, check that out later." And then you're out, you know. But at the same time, you might there might be something coming out every day that's got some really profound stuff on there. All right, people are putting their lives on the line in some respects to create this music. This is not an easy lifestyle for all of you out there who may be considering a, making the leap into a life of jazz. Be forewarned. It is not the it's not the easiest way to go. <laughs> a lot of people, you know, you got to a lot of people are really you got to figure out a way to make a living and yet at the same time create new music. That's not the most popular music in the music scene these days. Uh, if you are a if you're a if you're a pop singer, there's a chance you'll break through, and uh, and you might make a gajillion dollars for you know doing your whatever it is that you do. But I'll tell you, uh, you know, I've been to the outpost in Cambridge, Massachusetts, or the basement of the Bushwick Public House in Brooklyn, and seen some of the most amazing musicians I've ever seen just hanging out playing for nobody, you know. And at the same time, somewhere in the world. There's a million idiots at a Justin Bieber comp concert listening to nonsense. Hmm. Am I bitter? No. No, I'm not bitter. However, I do think sometimes, I mean, about all the music in the world. We've got such amazing music from all over the world. There's amazing music coming out of Benin in West Africa and in Ethiopia. And uh, you've got amazing music coming out of Serbia and, and India and you know, places around the United States, and yet somehow we still seem to find our way to just terrible, terrible music on the radio. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. We started off with Aretha Franklin, and we ended up uh, with a ton of garbage. I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff out there. I'm not trying to be difficult on all pop music. But let it be known, watch your back, pop music, all right? Watch your back. I'm going to keep saying mean things about you. Hmm delicious coffee. You still there? You still there, audience? You still listening to me? Well, all right. 
let's see. I don't want to go on too long here. I just wanted to give you a little background on where I'm at, what I do. Uh, anything I left out there? No. And what I'm thinking about in terms of the show, you know, what we've been doing. Uh, let's see. One thing that I want to talk about a little bit is the is the tone here, is the tone of this. Uh, I know that one of the things that has been, uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly how I feel about it all in all, but jazz music in particular, and I think this is maybe, a, maybe this has something to do with its, uh, let's say, level of popularity, has become very academic. We have uh, really pulled this thing into the universities, and we've made it, uh, in many regards, an academic exercise. And I think that that is off-putting to a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people that I went to school with that started off really passionate about the music and ended up essentially falling off of it because they felt like they didn't have a place in it because a lot of it, what it turns into is following all these bebop rules. And uh, it's kind of funny because I've always found myself very comfortable in the academic world, but at the same time, I find this sort of over-academification, I might have made that word up, of jazz music to be a little bit uh, overbearing. To me, it's always remained that music that I was listening to, you know, driving down to Boston with Manbox in his mom's old car, you know? It's just, it's its own punk rock, you know? This stuff comes out of, uh, out of, out of groups of people trying to overcome, subs- I mean, unimaginable adversity and creating a highly intellectual music in, you know, what is adverse circumstances and still creating party music that was of an extremely high level, uh, intellectual, psychological, emotional level. I mean, this stuff is deep, man. But if, if I go back and listen to Art Blakey records or if I go back and listen to, I don't know, whatever, Ken Vandermark or listen to... Duke Ellington in particular, or listen to, I don't know, anybody, Dr. John or Primus or whatever. Well, we're getting a little far outside the jazz idiom, I guess. But, uh, you know, this stuff makes me happy in the same way it does to listen to anything. You know, it's it's about it's about a sort of a emotional freeing. It's about a, a transcendent joy that comes from the expression of the human condition. All right? I mean, there's a part of it, sure, that's knowing how to play your 2-5-1s, stuff like that. All right? There's a part of this music that is about the the academic side of it. And there's no doubt that Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker and all these people were were intellectuals. And, uh, you know, and that's a, that's a feature of the music for sure. But does it need to become, I mean, do we all need to don our tweed jackets and, you know, give lectures on the on the, you know, Coltrane changes, or I don't know, you know? All right, so what's my point of this? My point is that one thing I don't want this to become is a purely academic intellectual exercise where we're sitting around analyzing chord progressions. Nobody cares about that, all right? If you want to learn that, call me up, all right? We could do lessons, all right? I teach lessons on on the internet now, now that we're in... uh, a very normal state of being. This is just what I normally do. Sorry, I caught myself. Almost jumped back into that. Uh, you know, or, I mean, there's a million other, you know, people doing interesting lectures or you can go to school, you can read up. I mean, there are certain instances. Obviously, we got deep in the weeds in the Lydian Chromatic episode. And from time to time, I would love to get super deep. I love getting super deep into some kind of intellectual exploits in as related to the music. And I will do that for sure. However, I'd like to keep this really about, I mean, what keeps us going is, is the, is the, 
the stories. I mean, jazz, even despite being a, a, a highly intellectual and kind of academic art form, is really and is in many regards a folk art. It comes as we, we passed the uh, we've passed the knowledge down through the through the ages through the last hundred years or so. Uh, you know, it's an oral art. It's an it's a We've passed the stories down, and there's something that's always been compelling to I think all jazz musicians about stories of, uh, you know, John Coltrane and and Sonny Rollins calling each other on the phone and playing a lick and then hanging up, and then the other one calling them back and playing another lick, or the stories of I don't know, uh, you know, our Blakey going to gangsters to try to get some guy's drums back or whatever. I mean, there's countless stories in the field of just what it is to be a musician and the kind of the spirit that goes into this. I mean, that's really where a lot of this music comes from. You can't have it, Thelonious Monk's music almost doesn't make any sense without Thelonious Monk. I mean, obviously it makes sense on its own, but but the fact that we know who Thelonious Monk was, it 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 gives the music a different meaning. It gives it it's 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 the music and the man are one and the same. It's it all comes from the same source. It's the same thing like, I don't know if I wouldn't have wanted to get into an argument with Charles Mingus, but I'm glad that he had the personality that he had because it 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 comes out of his music unfiltered. I mean, you can hear the raw energy of Mingus's own personality in his music. There's no way to listen to Ah Um or Blues and Roots or The Clown or any of this other stuff and not get a sense for who this guy was. So... That's what I want to do here. I want to talk to people who are creative, smart people who are doing uh, really interesting work in the world of jazz and improvised music and get their stories and their perspectives and their personalities and put a little background to some of the music that we all know and love or uh, even maybe more ideally expose some of you to some music that you've never heard before. Or some people that are around and who have been doing good work forever, who maybe don't, you know, don't make it onto the cover of Downbeat magazine all the time, or who you know aren't in the mainstream, but people who are in the scene, who really know the music and who have been doing creative work. Uh, I'd love to create a platform to sort of share ideas among people of that that kind of nature. Um, people who are in that world and, you know, who would be fascinating to people who love the, really love this music and are interested in the subject at hand. Now, that's it. That's my mission statement, is I want to talk to interesting people and get the word out, because there's not, there's not always, you know, every once in a while you do, you see an interview in Jazz Times Magazine, and those are really awesome. And, uh, you know, they used to have those, uh, you know, blindfold tests, and they'd talk to the musicians and what have you. But, um... I think this is, we really have in this day and age a powerful medium for creating new things. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, I would have had to go to a, a radio station to do this or a recording studio or something of that nature. And of course, you can do field recordings, but oftentimes those were transcribed because the quality wasn't great. But these days, it's, it's not hard. Over the years, I've collected, uh, a, you know, I've collected a series of microphones. I've put a certain, certain amount of savings into just having a recording setup that would be effective for doing certain things. And nowadays, I can have two, uh, two solid microphones and show up at somebody's house with the rig and chat with them about what it is that they're all about. So I feel uh, very fortunate to have that as a, as a possible, uh, possible situation. 
And it's been really amazing getting to talk to the people that I've talked to before. Uh, my guests so far are people that I've met in the field, people that I've worked with, played with, or studied with. And as I go, I'm going to continue to talk to some of the people that I've known for a long time and my friends and uh, other people in the field and hopefully expand out a little bit and meet some new people and interview some, you know, some of my heroes and people whose music that I've listened to for a long time and try to get their perspectives. And the benefit in doing it is really so that so that you, the audience, whether you be uh, musicians or just people interested in creative invention or jazz fans or free jazz, you know, fans or anything else, carpenters and and uh, dietitians and dolphin trainers and whoever else is out there interested in creative things, creative invention. I want to be able to get their stories to you. I think it's a fascinating subject, and uh, I think people are going to have a lot of fun checking out the checking out the the underground, the underground jazz scenes, the world from a different perspective, as well as the thought process involved in creating new things. All right, how am I doing? Is this going overkill? I don't know. I don't know how we're doing on time here. I think we're going to wind this up. I think I've had enough caffeine in me right now to start getting a little rambly. Uh, so, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to bore anybody here, but I thought it would be, I thought it'd be worthwhile this week as I continue to try to get these, these shows on different platforms to, uh, to just give you a little overview on what I'm thinking about. Uh, anything else? No, I'm just trying to do the research, trying to learn some stuff. Uh, this is a, this is a field in which I, you know, I've, for many years I've, uh, worked as an entertainer in various capacities, uh, typically as a front man for bands and things of that nature. And, uh, but it's a new, this is a new, new frontier for me, trying to make sure that I, uh, get it straight, get it right as I'm talking to these people and trying to get their perspectives. And I want to make sure I'm, I'm doing the right stuff. I'm doing a good job here for the people. All right. So if you got any feedback for me, if there's anybody that you'd like me to talk to, if there's anything that you think went off the rails or, uh, that you'd like to hear more about, or you'd like to hear less about, or anything, you know, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm an open book, or whatever. I don't know what that means. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm open to it, man. I'm trying to, I'm trying to reach the people. I'm trying to have some fun here. But that's the most important thing. Is at the end of the day, uh, I want to learn a little bit and have a lot of fun. And I think those two things go hand in hand. I've always. I've always had a lot of fun learning, and I think this is a good opportunity to try to glean some knowledge from those people out there who are really on the scene. Well, I guess at this time, uh, we will uh, we'll take questions from the audience here. Uh, I've got one question from uh, a Manbox Mendonca. Let's see. Uh, talk about what it is that draws you to improvisation. Uh, go into depth, uh, pivotal moments, uh, let's see, blah, 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 adolescence, uh, improvisation to figure out the very questions that plague mankind. Oh, Jesus Christ, man box. <laughs> we can't solve all these problems here. Uh, all right, what is this? It goes into, oh. Let's see, let's see. Uh, and then I'd like you to improvise a haiku about free impri- improvised music. All right, cool. I'm going to improvise a haiku on free improvised music. All right, anything goes. Free music, free music abounds. That's a haiku as far as I'm concerned. Doesn't matter. All right, uh, I think I got into it. I think I got into what my origins were. Uh, I've always loved this music. I've always been attracted to jazz and improvised music, and uh, 
Are there any things that... I mean, my adolescence really was going to see music. That was the biggest thing, man, Box. You were there, homie. Uh, that was the biggest thing, is really just going to check out some music and get my mind blown all the time. There's still a feeling I get, and I'm sure many of you experience this, and it's something that I'm, I'm always searching for. It's something that I'm always grasping at, is when you hear something that you've never heard before, it lights up something in your brain that is very hard to describe, and it's it's like an ama- it's an amazing experience that's unlike anything else I know. So when I first heard, in particular, when I heard The Fringe playing the way that they play, for those of you who don't know The Fringe, uh, check them out. We were, I, was, I, was, I was really sad to hear the passing of Bob Gulati uh, a couple weeks ago. Boy, he was really an amazing, amazing performer, and uh, it was an inspiration to be able to see that trio play on Monday nights in Cambridge. Uh, George Carzon, John Lockwood, Bob Gulati playing free music, and that band had played together for 40 years as a unit and could really, I mean, they thought as one unit. I mean, you think back to some of those shows, and it's remarkable. So things of that nature, being able to see that. There was a jazz club that opened up in uh, Amesbury, Massachusetts for a little while called The Roost, uh, which is pretty funny. I wish there were more little jazz clubs opening up in towns. I mean, we got a lot of rock and blues clubs, but... I'd love it if there were some more jazz clubs being opened up. I know that now it's kind of an unusual time for that sentiment, but eh, here we are. Uh, but I used to go see whoever I could, Berkeley professors and whatever, and there's something about that music that just hearing new stuff that I hadn't heard before just turned on some part of my brain, and really it was like a, I don't know, it was like a spiritual moment every time. So that continues to draw me forward. I'm always interested to hear new stuff, hear new music people have been coming up with. I've gotten deep into Balkan brass music because there's so many different sounds in there. Uh, Indian classical music, Ethiopian music, African music of various kinds, uh, even, uh, I don't know, contemporary fusion, various things like that. I mean, there's all kinds of music being created all the time. Oh, minimalism, Steve Reich and minimalist music, things like that. Uh, Man, I've gotten... That has compelled me more than anything is the adventure. The adventure compels me compels me forward, not only to create new things, but to talk to creative people and to be in this world. It's just the adventure of expressing the human condition. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? Here we are, floating around on a rock in outer space, trying to figure out where we all came from and what it is that we're doing. And in some way, writing and speaking and dancing and creating and playing music and mathematics and science and all of this are different ways of of gaining new perspective on the universe as we see it. We all only have a limited perspective. We can only see out of our own eyeballs, and we only have the, we can only, let's say, draw from the experience that we each have as individuals. And the more different perspectives, the the greater number of different perspectives you can absorb into your own line of thinking, the, the greater you can understand the position that you're in. I mean, if we were just dropped here for one day from the, from the depths of the cosmic ether to try to understand the world as we know it, then even just to walk through the park and listen to birds sing and smell a flower or feel the wind on our faces would be a you know, remarkable miracle. And uh, we should never lose sight of the fact that it's a miracle that we're all here, and it's a, it's a very... Uh, there's no shortage of miracles, really, as you look around. It's an amazing world that we live in for, 
for all the good and the bad and everything else, here we are. And to be able to look at a Rembrandt painting or listen to a Duke Ellington record or anything else is really a special experience. You know, you got to try to dig into the Zen and and uh, and enjoy what's what happens as it happens around you. So. That's the origin of all this stuff. I always have a good time with it, trying to push myself further, trying to check out new music, trying to dive deeper into the art, and uh, I'm going to keep on doing it, all right? At first, I wasn't sure how this was all going to pan out, but I'm going to keep the show going, even through, you know, whatever times we might run into. Uh, So hopefully we have a lot of fun. If you like the show and you like the concept and you want to keep up with us, uh, I'll tell you a couple things you can do that are a really big help is you can you can uh, follow the page on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash jazztopiapodcast. And uh, this week I'm working on getting the, the shows up on some other platforms. So if you see us on Apple Music or on whatever it is, Apple Podcasts or on YouTube, you know, give it a like, share it with your friends. If you like the episodes, uh, that means a lot because we're just trying to get some some uh, some fun shows out to the people and try to have a good time out here, all right? So if you like what's going on, you want to support it, you know where to find us. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at Bobby Spellman Music or on Instagram at at Bob Spellman. Uh, I am a person who really enjoys being in real life, and I've always been resistant to... Uh, technology to some degree. It's the reason that I blow air through a tube for a living. I'm a trumpet player. Uh, I also play slide trumpet. That's another fun fact. Uh, I also play alto horn and alto trumpet and some various other brass instruments, a little bit of trombone, things like that. Uh, But the fact that I've decided to anchor myself in, you know, analog music and trumpet playing and, and, uh, and music written by hand, played by people in real time, is a tribute to the fact that I'm a little resistant to some of this social media stuff going on these days. But I recognize that we don't really have a, let's say, corporate in- infrastructure to try to get this information out to people. So it's uh, it's important to me to try to, st- you know, that's part of my job, is to try to stay up on it and to get the information out to you. So if you follow me on any of those platforms, maybe I'll even go to Twitter someday. Who knows? Uh, I'll be able to keep you up to date with what's happening. And, uh, you know, if you got any requests, send them my way. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to hear from each and every one of you. All right? All right. Well, that's enough for today. I think we've taken up enough time here. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I wanted to take a little time to give you an idea of what I'm thinking about for this show and uh, introduce myself a little bit. I'm sure I left a lot out, uh, but that's fine. I, I You don't need to hear that much from me anyway. Uh, really not important. So, stay healthy out there everybody just because that's the right thing to do under all normal circumstances just like we're in and uh have a great week and i'll be back next thursday with another thrilling episode of jazztopia as of next week we're going back to just regular interviews with people we're going to talk to all kinds of different people i got a couple educators on the line we're going to talk to people who are dealing with uh, and jazz education in the modern age and certain philosophies around how to teach. And then uh, I got some other people on the docket talking about uh, their, their uh, wild adventures in jazz and improvised music. All right, everybody, have a good time, have a good week, and I'll see you next time. See you.